Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Simbox Present. Let's talk boxing with your hosts, Luke and Ewan. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Simbox Presents, Let's Talk Boxing. I'm your host, Luke Carney, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, Mr. Ewan Breeze. And before we get underway with today's episode, I would just like to let our listeners know that you can check us out across social media, and we're on Twitter, at Simbox, we're on Instagram, at Sim underscore Box, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Simbox Boxing, we provide daily updates, breaking news, and debate all things boxing. So you in another week, another episode of Let's Talk Boxing. We're up to episode eight now. And this week, I'm really, really eager to get into the episode. And there seems to have been a million and one things go on this week, whether it be social media beefs, uh, Twitter back and forth, the huge announcement from Matchroom, of course. And uh, as always, we're going to give our opinions and, and break it down the best we can. How's things with yourself? Yeah, all good, all good. Like buses, aren't they, matchroom cards? You can't get one for months and months and months, and then they all come at once. Uh, we've got four four fight cards now announced from matchroom, and uh, I can't wait to get stuck into those with you. Yeah, absolutely. So as we always do, uh, we take a look at this week in boxing to begin with. Uh, and, and to start with, you know, a topic that I know you'll be uh, very passionate about, uh, the, the Dylan White and Tyson Fury Twitter feud. You know, it seems to have ignited two guys that don't really take a backward step when it comes to being controversial or outspoken and they've been back at it this week on Twitter. Oh god, it was it was it, it caught caught fire, didn't it? It caught the imagination of people. But again, I don't I, I'm a fan of both men and I think sometimes the pair of them are very emotional people. And I think sometimes they let that get the better of them and they say some things that they probably shouldn't. But um again, it, it all hypes up a potential fight and maybe, you know, I'm sure those press conferences will be endlessly amusing if they do come to pass. Yeah, absolutely. If if the the Twitter feud, the you know the the squabbles uh, via tweets, uh, which seems to make so many fights these days, you know, if, if that's anything to go by, then that initial press conference, you know, the fight announcement press conference will be absolute fireworks. You know, it feels like we're a million miles away from Dylan White still getting his WBC heavyweight title shot. I'm not going to go through that too much because we beat that to death This fight is, you know, in the pipeline. It is something that. Can feasibly happen, you know, it's, and uh, and when it does, you know, it'd be. I'm not sure the fight would be able to live up to the pre-fight back and forth, the the press conferences and whatnot. You know, I think that'll uh, divide opinion and, and and get tongues wagging, and it's it's, it's a very exciting prospect. Exactly, exactly. And Dylan, Dylan's realised that the only way you are going to get a title shot is if you just go after the big boys and really call them out. And you know, because he's, he's you know he's managed to not get his title shot every other way so why not just go for the jugular so I think that, that that's his thinking and you know all power to him absolutely uh, and and to go from one high to an extreme low as we mentioned on last week's episode we didn't want to give him too much uh, airtime but given that it was such a huge moment on social media and across the boxing world uh, the scumbag that is Jarrell Miller fails yet another drug test uh, somehow we managed to to get back into contention he was due to box July 9th on the top rank bill uh, headlining against Jerry Foster that's obviously been scrapped uh, but yeah just totally unbelievable again you, we didn't want to give him too much airtime, but we can't avoid this subject you know I've not really put anything out on social media um, I was waiting for the podcast um, my bud, blood was boiling as you well know I'll give you a call in the night the announcement or the 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 news broke of, of the failed drug test and I just can't believe it and I can't believe that he was in a position to do this again um, what's your thoughts? 
he's he's just shameless. He's absolutely shameless. He has absolutely no no respect for the sport that has made him a name. He has no respect for the individuals that compete in that sport against him. I think he's I think he's absolutely. Uh, deplorable in all he says and does and uh, I think that'll be my fi- final comment on the matter. Yeah, absolutely. And moving on, uh, there was a couple of notable anniversaries this week in terms of this week in boxing history. Uh, first up, Anthony Joshua. He defended his IBF World Heavyweight title for the first time. Uh, he won via seventh round knockout versus Dominic Brazil. Uh, that was three years ago this week. What was your memories of that fight, Ewan? Uh, I had all my friends around and we had a sweepstake on which round Joshua would knock him out in. And uh, we were all buzzing to have got one and two and three. And my one friend got seven and he was gutted. And then for Dominic Brazil, like a big old heavy bag, managed to stay on his feet for seven rounds. And uh, yeah, I think he was quite rich that night. But uh, no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a dominant performance. And there's dominant and there's dominant. You know, there was a couple of 10-8 rounds in there. Joshua just knocked him from pillar to post. It was, you know, a real kind of stepping up fight to show that he is, he is legit. And obviously Brazil was at that point undefeated and he was an Olympian and stuff. So uh, Joshua really stepped up and proved that he could, you know, throw combinations and, you know, stay in there to the later rounds and carry his knockout power. Yeah, absolutely. I remember going into the fight, you know, my, my knowledge of Dominic Brazil wasn't too expansive. Um, obviously, being a big anti-Joshua fan, I was baying for blood. I was expecting an early knockout. Um, you say that about a sweepstake, um, I would have been very happy with anything between one and three if I took part. Um, but throughout the fight, I think it got to like the fourth, the fifth, the sixth round. Um, and it, it almost became sympathetic towards Dominic Brazil, you know, such was the one-sidedness of the beatdown, as you mentioned. And uh by the time he went down in the seventh, it was almost like a crumple. He just took too much. It wasn't really like a knockout blow as such. It was just almost that like he, he took too much, and he, he, you know his his mind and his, his his spirit wanted to carry on, but his body gave up on him. Uh, such was the damage that he'd taken. And uh, yeah, Anthony Joshua defended the title for the first time, and I think he moved on to fight Molina next before the huge uh, Vladimir Klitschko unification bout. Heady days, heady days indeed. They were. Uh, it's a great time to be an AJ fan as he bowled all these people over, and you know it was. It was. It's one of those things. It's. A, it was a ride. I was very happy to be on, and I'm sure I'll talk about it in years to come. Absolutely, and uh, something else for us to get our teeth stuck into. Excuse the pun. Twenty three years on from Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield too, in Las Vegas. I'm sure you like that little pun there, Ewan. I, I did indeed. I did indeed. The bite fight. Um, you know, obviously, Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson had 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 their uh, their first bout, and this was the rematch. And Tyson is Tyson is remembered for many things, being an animal in the eighties and but in the nineties, some of his antics, you know, trying to break Franz Botha's arm and things like that. But none is more infamous than the than the bite fight. It's one of the most uh, boxing has had a few cultural crossover moments with the likes of Muhammad Ali and Jack Johnson and D- Jack Dempsey, but few have ever transcended like Mike Tyson biting the ear. It's it's you know it's been replicated in The Simpsons and various other different things. It's one of the most culturally significant bouts in the history of boxing. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I just you know obviously we've watched it back time and time again on YouTube and 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 stuff like that and. I don't think anything could replace actually watching that fight. You know, I would have been seven or eight years old at the time and I just couldn't have imagined if it had happened in this day and age, watching a fight, you know, we, we had, of course, um, was it Cash Ali that, that bit uh, David <laughs> Price? David Price, yeah. But this was on a totally different level, you know, and this is like the, the heavyweight championship of the world, like arguably the, the most notorious name that's ever took part in the sport in Mike Tyson, you know, be you love him or you hate him or you just tune in to see what he's going to do. Um 
and to do it on such a platform and you know there's there's so many questions hanging over him from his past and from the the first Holyfield fight he, you know he had so much to to answer for and he just he was he was an absolute animal you know and and that's almost like downplaying it but he he wasn't human you see the look in his eyes and he, he was just an absolute demon um you know and he tried blaming it on a couple of headbutts and you know a couple of low blows which was there but is that not all part and parcel of boxing and should he have rose above that and funnily enough the only time that he seemed to really go for it was right before he bit Evander Holyfield in that third round. You know, the first two was shut out for Evander Holyfield clear, Evander Holyfield rounds in the first two. And then in the third round, you know, it, it all went to pot and Tyson bit him not once but twice. And it's it's absolutely amazing to watch back and it's almost surreal. I take a slightly different view on it, actually. I don't think Tyson was quite the animal he had been in his youth because when, when he was, you know, the eye of the tiger, that evil killer in the ring, when he was that man, he never bit anyone. He did his talking with his fists. I think Tyson was old and he knew Holyfield was better than him and he looked for a way out. And he looked for a way out in, in, in his anger. He found Evander Holyfield's ear rather than uh, he was so angry at Evander he just had to try and eat him. I think it was, uh, yeah. I think Tyson knew which way you get out of a boxing ring and that's by disqualification. And uh, I think that's why he did it. Oh, that's very much a fair point. I mean, in, in terms of describing him as, uh, as an animal, it wasn't so much a, uh, a description of his boxing ability, which he was in the late 80s. I mean, just as a, almost as a human being, he was he, yeah. he was almost off the rails, you know, and he, it wasn't too much that anyone could do or say to, to keep him in line, you know, and on the back of the, you know, on the back of the fight being called off, you could see that he was still trying to get to the corner. There was a huge melee, you know, it seemed to be like hundreds and hundreds of people was just in the in, in the ring, you know, and it seemed that so many people couldn't fit in there. Um, and then even afterwards, they, they rushed uh, Holyfield away, took him to the back. And then when they tried getting Mike Tyson back to the dressing room, there was there was a whole circus act around him then and people's falling over, cameraman was falling over, policemen was all over each other. It was, it was again, absolutely surreal. So you couldn't pitch that in a Hollywood movie and expect people to believe it. Such was it, the, the absurdness. You know, even if, if that was pitched by Steven, Steel, Steven Spielberg for a Hollywood flick, you would not have believed it. You'd be like, no, no, that's too preposterous. That that can't be real. That was the circus that Mike Tyson always brought. Which other heavyweight champion would be champion at 21 years old, knock out the likes of Spinks and Holmes and then go to prison and then come back and knock everyone out in 90 seconds, you know, you Pete McNeely's and then go on and fight. You know, his his life was a Hollywood film. And I know we discussed the Jamie Foxx film last week, but, you know, what a saga, what a character Mike Tyson was, for, for better or for worse, for good and for evil. Mike Tyson brought something to boxing which has rarely been seen. Absolutely. And uh, something else that I just want to touch on this week in boxing, um, you know, we send our very best wishes to Roberto Duran, the legendary lightweight, and he obviously moved up throughout the weights. Um, he unfortunately tested positive for COVID-19. Um, a little bit of glimmer of good news is that he seems to be doing well. He seems to be uh, recovering or in a, a recovering position. Um, so we, as a team at Simbox, obviously we send our very best wishes to Roberto Duran and his entire family. Absolutely, Roberto Duran, the legend of the game. But I'd also like to give a shout-out, obviously, our condolences to Roberto Duran. Hope he gets better. But also, Ken Buchanan, his old foe, who he beat for the lightweight title. It was his birthday yesterday, 74th birthday, and he's also in hospital. So wish uh, Ken the best of luck in his recovery as well. Yeah, most definitely. Absolutely second that. Uh, moving on in the podcast, I uh, just want to give a quick mention to Boxing Pin Badges. Uh, you can find them on Twitter and Instagram, at Boxing Pins. Uh, as you all know, you and we do an exclusive giveaway with the guys. 
Um, you can find these fantastic boxing pin badges. Uh, the Muhammad Ali is the debut uh, piece that they're, they're, they've released. You can find them on the website. Uh, all the details are on boxing pins, Twitter feed, Instagram feed, and also on Simbox. <clears throat> fantastic little uh, collectible items and there's more to come I've seen some of the, the behind the scenes work that's going on with Jamie and the team at Boxing Pins and if you want to take part in our giveaway then there's a tweet that's pinned to our profile on Twitter check that out and anyone that's listening that wants to take part and, and have a chance of winning one of these fantastic pin badges with the legendary Muhammad Ali uh, you can do that on our Twitter feed absolutely get following and retweeting yeah, uh, moving on, our feature, Ewan, you know, we, we don't want to go too in-depth across all the fight cards, of course, you know, but uh, our feature today is we're going to pick out three fights to look out for across matchroom fight camps. You know, we, we, we touched on this in previous episodes, but now we've got the, the set dates, the set announcements, the set fights. We've decided to choose our three fights to look out for, you know, and this will split opinion as it always does. You know, we love doing that here between myself and, and, and at Rebel Boxing. Uh, we love to split opinion. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get into it. What's your thoughts initially, Ewan, when the, the announcement was made of fight camps? You know, finally, it's, it's been rumoured and rumoured and rumoured, and then we got the, the final announcement. I was getting very frustrated with the rumours because, you know, Frank had managed to announce it with very little fanfare, you know, whereas Matchroom, they, they do fall into the habit sometimes of having a press conference to announce the press conference to announce the announcement. Um, and they were falling into that, and I was getting quite frustrated. But I think they have actually delivered, you know, five well, four fight cards in four weeks, and they are all quality, quality fights. I think the month of August is going to be very busy for uh, for us, the boxing fans. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I want to be very careful here to to not look like a, a matchroom fanboy because I'm a fan of boxing in general. But one of the things that I don't really understand, you, is that, you know, when we get like a matchroom announcement and he announces four fight cards with 20 fights um, in such an innovative uh Location, you know, in his back garden, and the work that's going to go into it, and the production work that's going to go into it, um, and then you see the trolls on Twitter come out with it with the hate, and the, you know the slating boxers, which I, I hate, absolutely hate the way that boxers get bad mouthed, and you know these, these Twitter trolls hiding behind fake profiles. Um, but then you know you see like the top rank efforts, and would you argue that any of the top rank shows that have happened so far is any better than week one, two, three, or four of Matchroom? You know, you could you could really debate it, and you know. Frank Warren came out with his announcements and three great fights, but only one of them has a set date. The other two are uh, to be confirmed. Um, so, you know, I, I think sometimes it's very easy to look at the, the guy that's at the top, you know, at the pinnacle in terms of uh, Eddie Hearn with, with promoting in England, in the UK. Um, but sometimes I think there should be just like a little bit of an appreciation because if, if Matchroom packed it in and did ship over to USA and, and base themselves from there, we would really, really miss out. Um, what's your thoughts on that? I agree. Credit where credit's due. And like I say, I think, I think given the timescale, they've produced something that's worthy of that timescale. All right. Because if, if they'd have put on, you know, so say they'd put on Dylan White versus Tom Little, just for example. Okay. I w- on this card, I would have been disappointed. But if they'd have done that three weeks ago the way Bob Arum did, and it's, you know, a less competitive fight, but getting your stars a run out, I would have been fine with that. But if you're going to take the time, make it the quality, and I think he has done that. And like you say, credit where credit's due. It, it is innovative. It is, it is working to get it sorted, and it is sorted. And now we do have all of these. You know, there's only a couple without opponents on there. But actually, you know, we've all got dates and we're ready to go. So, yeah, exactly. Credit where credit is due. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the lasting remark that I would, uh, what I'll leave on that little segment there is that as boxing fans, we sh- you know, we're, we're not just going to accept any old crap 
you know, and, and any kind of mismatch, you know, we do want something along the lines of competitive fights and the three fights that we've got from Frank and the majority of what we've got from Eddie and the, the Hennessy sports announcement of Shakan Pitters against uh, Chad Sugden uh, for the end of August, the British light heavyweight title fight, you know, in, in a space of around eight, you know, seven, eight, nine weeks, we've got some fantastic fights condensed into such a small period of time that we should just be appreciative of what we do have. You know, there's going to be a couple of mismatches in there. There's going to be a couple of fights that people aren't going to be happy with. But in the, in the main, as boxing fans, I'm, I'm just happy that we've got something to watch, something to look at. And it's not as poor as the top ranked shows are as much as they got out first and got out before everybody else. You know, this quality over here in the UK, the fights that we've got from Frank and from Edda and the fight from Hennessy sports is, is above average is, is above what top rank have provided. And again, you know, credit where credit's due. Exactly. Britain is the, uh, it's the epicenter of world boxing at the moment. And uh, I'll dispute anyone that says otherwise. And I think that this, these announcements have proved that. Absolutely. So let's get into it. What we'll do is we'll go from a, a three to a two to a one kind of uh, build up from our, our, our least, well, not our least, but our third place, most excited fight, and then second and first. So, as always, Ewan, the floor is yours. Uh, what's your third favorite fight that you're looking for, out for on fight camps? There's there's quite a few of these. So, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Chris Billum Smith. I saw him last time out uh, live in, in the flesh, and he was very, very impressive. But I've actually opted to go for. Um, somebody who I spoke to on the Instagram live series, Fabio Wardley. And I know it's been announced for a while and I know it's not the most high profile of fight, but I am an absolutely massive fan of Fabio Wardley. The way he speaks is he's so eloquent and he's so kind of, he's very, very ch- chilled out in the way he speaks. And he's very, very focused and he's very, very analytical in the way he analyzes the fights. And I think that this could be his breakout. You know, the w- eyes of the world will be on, Matchroom's fight camp week one. And I think Fabio Wardley is the second fight on, has a, an opportunity to steal showtime at Simon Villa. He's a tough old cruise away. You know, he's had his own problems being to prison and stuff. But I think Fabio Wardley, is, his punch selection is impeccable. His balance is great. Obviously, he's managed by Dillian White. And he's so he'll get the opportunities. He's sparring with the likes of White, Usyk, uh, Riakpour. You know, I think, he's, I think this could be his breakout moment. And I'm a massive fan of Fabio Wardley in the way he fights. And I really think this is an exciting opportunity for him on this card. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really enjoyed the, the Instagram live that you've done as part of our lockdown series. And Fabio seemed to, you know, as you say, he's really eloquent and he spoke really well. Um, and I think it's almost like when you look at British heavyweight boxing, there's almost tears that are developing. You know, and you have your upper echelons of Dylan White, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. And then you have like your, your sub rank of like Dubois, and Joe Joyce and Derek Chisora. But then you also have like your, your up and coming heavyweights and Fabio Wardley is, is right at the front of that, you know, and am, am I right in saying that this fight's for the English heavyweight title? It is, yeah. It's the English heavyweight title. So it'd be the, it'd be his first belt if he wins it. And I think that like you say, it's there's very there's a lot of people hanging around that kind of top ten of British level and Obviously, Fabio Wardley isn't in that now, but, you know, the likes of uh, Dave Allen, David Price, Huey Fury, who have, you know, started to rack up some losses, you know, they're on a bit of a win-lose. Wardley is on an upward trajectory, he's undefeated, he's heading for the top, you know, he's getting more and more experience and more and more skill every time out. I think he's, I think this is a massive opportunity for a lot of people to know who Fabio Wardley is and how good Fabio Wardley is. Yeah, I must definitely absolutely echo that and... I think, is, it, is this also uh, Simon Valili's heavyweight debut? I know he was at Cruiserweight for a while. Um, is this his first fight up at heavyweight or has he moved up there for, for a little while now? 
I believe it's either his first or second fight at heavyweight, but I'm not 100% he was, sure. He, he was huge at cruiserweight. I think it was, um, I was in Newcastle on a Ritson undercard um, and he fought Craig Glover at cruiserweight. And I remember thinking he was absolutely huge. And I know cruiserweight is a big old lumps in their own res- respect, but Simon Villilli, uh, even for a cruiserweight, looked like he was destined to move up at, at the earliest opportunity and he has, he's made that jump. So, you know, as much as we're looking towards Fabio Wardley is, you know, the the unbeaten prospect with a Dylan White behind him and Matrim behind him. This is also like an equally great opportunity for someone like Simon Valilli that has had his outer ring issues and for him to go in there and, and, and steal the limelight and, and forge a path uh, through the heavyweight division in his own right, you know, and again, that, that's what makes it such an intriguing fight. You know, it might not be mainstream names that everyone can, can appreciate, but as boxing fans and as, as, as hardcore boxing fans, we can appreciate when a matchup can develop into something really exciting and that's something I definitely feel like we have in this fight. Exactly, he's no pushover and he'll, uh, he'll give him a really good test and I think that as the second fight in a matchroom card, it's, you can't go wrong. Absolutely, so jumping over to my list and uh, the third fight that I'm looking forward to um, out of my top three is uh, the Commonwealth middleweight title fight, it's on week three of fight camps and this pits the undefeated champion Felix Cash at 12-0 against the always entertaining Jason Wellborn, you know, in, in win, lose or draw, he, he always comes to fight. Uh, one of the things that I found really interesting, you and with Jason Wellborn, when I was researching, you know, some facts for the for the podcast, is he made his debut way back in 2005. You know, I was still in high school at that point. Um, and Felix Cash, you know, he's, he's 12 and also uh, Jason Wellborn's been around for, forever and a day but Felix Cash I feel like he, he's looking for that breakout fight you know he had a fantastic win uh, at the back end of last year on the anti-crawler undercard in Manchester and it was one of the fight of the year domestic fight of the year contenders when he, he stopped uh, Jack Cullen you know I think he had Jack down in the first round and then it was a back and forth and I think it stopped in around the middle rounds um, a fantastic win for Felix Cash but I still feel like he's waiting for that breakout moment um, Commonwealth middleweight champion and I'm sure he'll be looking at the British title before too long and and maybe beyond that, you know, I think his, his untapped potential with Felix Cash at the minute, we don't really know what his level is. And, and I think, you know, if he can look impressive against Jason Wellborn, who can blow hot and cold, let's not forget that, you know, he's got a loss on his record to uh, William Warburton. In all respect, William Warburton is an away fighter. Um, at the time, he had 96 losses on his record and he beat Jason Wellborn on points after six rounds. Um, but who can forget the back-to-back wins over Tommy Langford? So this goes to show how low Jason Wellborn can, can stoop and, and how high he can reach. And it's, it's a fantastic fight in terms of a crossroad fight and, and one that I'm really excited for. I think there's a very, very similar thing to it about the, the Wardley and Valili that we've just talked about. You know, obviously Felix Cash undefeated, you know, on his way up, looks very good, very flashy, but hasn't fought anyone quite of the calibre of Jason Wellborn yet. And obviously Wellborn has been in with, you know, the likes of world-class fighters like Liam Smith and Jarrett Hurd. So he's going to have those veteran tricks and he might be able to kind of put a little bit of pressure on Cash in a way that very few else have managed to do. But again, I think that Cash would go into this the favourite, you know, he's the up-and-comer. But again, Jason Wellborn, on his best night, you know, the Tommy Langford fights, could he give him, could he give him a real fight? And I think that, that that air of mystery can could really add to the kind of excitement and the uh, how well this one goes. Absolutely. If if Jason Wallball comes into the, the ring with Felix Cash anywhere near the condition that he was in for the Tommy Langford fights, you know, and let's not forget, you can mirror uh, the situation that he's in now with Felix Cash back to the Tommy Langford fights. You know, he was the he wasn't a journeyman, but he wasn't quite the 
the prospect. He was right in the middle and, you know, promoters didn't really know what to do with him. And he went in there as the away fight with Tommy Langford twice. And uh, those fights, I don't even think he got picked up by a, a TV station. I remember watching him on, on YouTube um, or Facebook or some sort of social media. Um, and, and Jason Warburn upset the odds both times. And it led to big fights with Jarrett Hurd on the, on the undercard of Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury won. Um, then he, I think he fought for the Commonwealth Super Welterweight title against JJ Metcalf. So he is coming off consecutive losses, but he's got nothing else to lose, you know. And that, that makes him a very dangerous opponent for an unbeaten Felix Cash, who is expected to look good against Jason Wilburn and win in explosive fashion, given the way he took care of Jack Cullen last time out. Exactly. But then also you've got to think that the last two losses, two consecutive losses, but at a higher level than Felix Cash has ever been at yet. So it's, it's one of those things. It's one's, one's coming up, one's, I, I, I hesitate to say going down, but they are crossing at a pivotal point. And I think that if Cash wants to prove how good he is, he's got to beat him and beat him in style. Absolutely. So if we switch back over to your list, you're in, what's your next fight in, in, in your list of fights to look out for in fight comes? I've gone for the big one. I think that we couldn't go with it untalked about. Uh, it's been re- it, was re- it was scheduled originally for May the 2nd. It's back on. Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin. Obviously, this is the culmination of four weeks of boxing back in Eddie Hearn's back garden. And this is the uh, proverbial main event of 20 fights. You know, Dillian White, obviously, we talked about him at the beginning, looking for his heavyweight title shot. And he's taking on a, an aged, but a, an always tough as old boots, Alexander Povetkin. And I know what I said about drugs at the beginning. And I, I, I will mention Alexander Povetkin has tested positives for drugs in the past because I think that we should talk about those things and acknowledge our own biases of fight fans, because I'll still watch it. But uh, at the same time, it is a crossroads fight for Dillian White. If he can beat Povetkin and knock him out, he's, you know, he, he, he'll be ready for a title shot. He'll be looking to get right up there. But, you know, Povetkin can upset the apple cart. He's never one to be written off. You know, I had him written off in the first couple of rounds against Michael Hunter when he was staggering everywhere, but he managed to pull out a draw out of that fight. And so he's even in his advanced age, he is always very, very dangerous, Alexander Povetkin. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's left in the tank for Povetkin determines how good of a fight this can be because if he turns up and he's, he's not in great condition, which you know I'm not saying that he will because he's always in fighting shape, um, but given the, the, the motivation and the, the aggression from Dylan White and you know if he brings in the frustrations from the, the WBC that he seems to have, if he brings that into the ring with Alexander Povetkin, then he's going to be a very dangerous uh, opponent, as long as he channels it in the right way, you know, you don't want him to be sidetracked, you don't want him to overlook Alexander Povetkin in any way, shape or form, because Povetkin with that left hook, um, you know, you only have to go and speak to Anthony Joshua and, and, and discuss those opening three rounds of their world title fight not too long ago, um, and as you say, he came back from the brink against Michael Hunter on more than one occasion, um, and he just seems to me, you know, people tend to speak about Alexander Povetkin as being old, maybe over the hill, but, you know, tell me a fight where he's looked at older over the hill. You know, he's adjusted his style slightly from the early days when he was knocking everybody out and, and now he seems to have formulated the plan similar to how, how Vladimir Klitschko did where they, they changed the style almost, you know, and, 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 and almost renew themselves given that they know they've not got the physical capabilities to do what they've done before, you know. So there's not really been that point when Povetkin's got old overnight, you know, it's, it's a term that's often used in boxing. But he's not, he's yet to get old overnight, you know. He, maybe this is the fight where that shows, but, you know, is he 40, 41 by the time he gets in the ring and, I think there's plenty left in the tank and if Dylan White gets the win, it goes down as another credible victory over, you know, a ranked, a top 10 ranked heavyweight. You know, he's got one over uh, Joseph Parker, he's got a couple over Chisora, you know. Let's not forget the Lucas Brown win doesn't look 
great because of the condition Lucas was in when he entered the ring against Dylan White. But at the time, you know, he seemed like a shootout. And, you know, we can go on and on and on with Dylan White and, and the wins that he's got on his record, the Oscar Rivas. Again, another great win. And I think if he gets this win, it just goes down as another top 10 ranked opponent that he's beat on his quest to get a, a heavyweight title shot. Exactly. And people who don't like Dylan White will always not like Dylan White. And I'm not going to be like the one that goes and argues that Dylan White deserves a title shot. I think people who are in boxing probably as a consensus believe that he does. You know, the trolls will always hate on him. But again, fight-wise, I think it's Dylan, Dylan White's fight to lose because if he comes in in the condition he came in against Marius Wack, he will lose. If he comes in in the condition he lost Anthony Joshua in, he will lose. He has to be in Lucas Brown or Oscar Rivas conditioning. He has to be fit. He has to be strong. Otherwise, he'll lose. Because Povetkin, yeah, he might go old overnight. But even an old fighter, the last thing to go is power. You know, George Foreman won a heavyweight title four years, the senior of Alexander Povetkin. Um, You have to be careful. And unless he comes in in impeccable condition he won't beat Alexander Povetkin. So I think that that is an area of intrigue that's got me really excited for this one. And I think throughout, it'll all be building to this kind of final heavyweight crescendo that is Dillian White's coming out party. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if there's one thing that we can take confidence from, in, uh, you know, in, in terms of Dylan White, and you mentioned there about the shape he's going to come in, you know, there's been a few posts on social media um, away from the Tyson Fury feud where he's been, obviously he's been out in Portugal throughout the whole lockdown. Uh, situation and he's been working out there and he's had sparring partners out there and whatnot and the pictures that you know have been posted online he's looked absolutely incredible you know he's maybe the best shape of his career and if that's an omen for for the fight then you know it could be a destruction job on Alexander Povetkin given the work that seems to have been put in Exactly we can only hope you know social media is never the be all and end all of the story but like you say you're right he looks in really good shape and hopefully he can bring that to the ring yeah, most definitely. So, uh, flipping back over to my list, and the, the second fight that I've chose out uh, takes place on the undercard of Dylan White, Alexander Povetkin, and this is also another heavyweight fight, um, and this is Martin Bacola against uh, Sergi Kuzmin. I think it's a really interesting matchup. You know, they've got almost identical records, both 15-1, and one. Uh, Bacola with 12 knockouts and Kuzmin with 11, so that's the only difference. Um but I just think it's a really intriguing bout. I think Kuzmin at one point was looking like he was going to be a, a dangerous, uh, you know, bogeyman of the, the heavyweight division. And, you know, the, the loss to Michael Hunter and, you know, he had a majority decision win over uh, Joey DeWaco, who's a, a bit of a journeyman in the heavyweight division, you know, and, and, and Kuzmin struggled to get past him. And then there was the whole mess of a fight against uh, David Price when David Price, I think it was a bicep injury, put an end to that fight. I think that was on the undercard of... Uh, Joshua Povetkin so it was a, another high profile fight for, for Kuzmin uh, and then across the ring from him would be Martin Bacola of course trained by Billy Nelson um, up in Scotland and I think he's, he's he's really turned the corner since that Michael Hunt defeat you know it's such a humbling defeat uh, for both him and his training you know and there was the whole uh, rigmarole around that Billy Nelson should have stopped the fight and, and everything else but since that loss to Ma- Michael Hunter He's had four consecutive KO wins. You know, he went over to Poland and he, he knocked out Marius Wack, um, which is a victory that's looked slightly better in time, given, you know, the trouble that Dylan White had getting Wack out of there when he fought in, in Saudi Arabia. So for Bacoli to go over to Poland and defeat uh, Marius Wack, I think that was very impressive. Uh, he stopped Kevin Johnson, you know, and Kevin Johnson's only a shadow of the man that he was. You know, he was always very tough and, you know, he went the distance with Vitaly Klitschko and others. Uh, but Martin Bacoli got him out of there and, yeah, there was a couple of other knockout 
on his resume since that Michael Hunter loss. And I think his, his output, his punch output in, for a heavyweight is very impressive. So I think this fight is, is really interesting. I think if Mike Bacoli can get past Kuzmin and look good doing it, then, you know, again, he could move on. And there's other big fights out there, you know, names that we continually seem to mention, like Dave Allen and, and Yui Fiore and David Price. And, and then trying to break through, you know, Billy Nelson's, very, very confident in backing his man in Bacoli and says that he could take out Dubois and White and Chisora. And, you know, that remains to be seen. But a win here against Kuzman on a, a reasonably high profile, given that's going to be the pay-per-view show of fight camp. I think, you know, it's, it's a really exciting prospect for Bacoli to get that victory and a, a lot of motivation for him there. Yeah, exactly. And out of those people that, that Marius Wack for, he said that Bacoli punched him the hardest. You know, he's been in with Klitschko and Povetkin and Jarrell Miller. And he, he said Bacoli punched the hardest. So... You know, that is high, high praise from somebody who has been in there. And it, it sounds weird to say, but, you know, like you say, Billy Nelson knows a lot about boxing and he, he's backing his man. He says he's as good as he thinks he is. And he says that he wasn't ready, he wasn't in condition for the Hunter fight. You know, he didn't look in condition compared to how he's looked since. So why not? And again, Kuzmin's a great fighter. He's, he's a compact little problem in the same way that, you know, uh, Povetkin was when he was coming through. It's, he's not got the same kind of amateur pedigree, but he is a little problem. And I know he lost to Hunter last time out, but Hunter, as by knocking out Bacoli, has proved that he's a world-class heavyweight. And I think, personally, Hunter's better as a heavyweight than a cruiserweight. But yeah, I think that they're at a very, very similar point in their career. They've only lost to the same man. And I think this decides who who pushes forward. You know what I mean? I think this will decide who is the real deal and who's going to carry on moving up. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's not too much more I could add to that. You and you know, you grouped it together very well and, and that pretty much epitomises everything why I picked this fight as, as, as one to look out for, given that it's on such a high profile, given that there's so much at stake in a heavyweight division that's threatening to, to explode into life. Yeah, exactly. And heavyweight contests, especially those ones, often light up. They really can change a, a fight card. And when there's only five fights, you know, it could easily be the, the highlight of the night that night. You know, if, if Dylan White and Povetkin are a chess match and, you know, well, I'm sure we'll get on to Katie Taylor, but whatever she does, you know, th- this one could be the one that lights up and it could be the one that really kind of catches fire and we have a big heavyweight slugfest. Yeah, absolutely. So if we flip it back over to yourself, Ewan, uh, what have you gone for as your number one pick for fights to watch out for in fight camps? I could have gone for, I could have gone for any of these. You know, obviously, Eglinton Cheeseman, we talked about it. It's going to be an absolute war. Uh, Tasha Jonas, Terry Harper, Clash of Styles, world title fight, massive for women's boxing. I could have gone for Zelfa Barrett, who's a fantastic talent against uh, Eric Donovan, but I've gone for Jordan Gill and Reese Bellotti. We talked about last week, it's the boxer versus the puncher, you know, two of our best featherweights who are both equally good and equally vulnerable at the same time. And I think that this one is an absolute sleeper and people might not know these guys. People might, you know, they'll be looking at their Eggingtons and the Dylan Whites and the Katie Taylors of this world. But I seriously don't think quality wise, you're going to have to look far in Jordan Gill and Reese Bellotti, especially when there's no belts on the line for it. You know, that could have easily been a British or a European or a Commonwealth title fight, but there's no belts on the line. It's mano in mano. It's, Who's the better guy? And, you know, obviously Bellotti is a massive puncher and Jordan Gill's a massive boxer. You know, they're both on the comeback trail. And I think that that one can only be fireworks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's one that easily could have made my list. And, you know, we was careful not to, to uh, pick duplicate fights. And, and that was one that we both mentioned. Um, and, you know, it's what I mentioned, you know, we've got interviews coming with a few fighters that are, are taking part of fight camps and, and Reese Blot is one of them. We've got an article coming soon with him and, you know, I mentioned, you know, about this being 
the classic boxer versus puncher matchup to him. And he seems to not take offence to that, but he believes that he's got the boxing ability to, to match Jordan Gill and, and make it a, a chess match, if you like, rather than just looking for that one big blow to, to knock out the more skillful opponent in Jordan Gill. But in terms of styles, and we always say styles make fights, this can only gel to be a fantastic fight. And you know, as many fights on this card, there's so much at stake for the winner and the, the loser has to go back to the drawing board and rebuild and, and uh, I think Jordan Gill rightly starts as a as, as a favourite, uh, but I wouldn't count out Reese Bellotti with the power that he carries. Um, and I'm really excited for that fight. And one that I think is is that the fight that's going to open the the first fight night of the first week. It's the first fight week, so we've got yeah, you've got Dalton Smith is the first fight on, then then Wardley who we talked about earlier. Then it will be Gill and Bellotti. And like I say, I think that 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 those two fights, Wardley and then Jordan Gill, they can only light up and. I think that Gill and Bellotti, you know, what you've just said there indicates a really strong mental makeup from Reese Bellotti. You know, somebody who's been been stopped, been in some hard fights, had some losses of recent times, you know, couldn't really catch a break. To be in that mindset, to say, no, actually, I'm the boxer and the puncher, you know, I, I can beat him anywhere. That's a really, really positive mental outlook. And, you know, boxing is, you know, famously 90% mental, 10% physical. And if you can get yourself right in the head, to be able to beat someone, then often even if you're not as good, you can beat them. And I think that both of these fighters will be looking to get their heads right after after you know tough years. And I think that that can only add even further incentive into making the fight explode and catch fire and be a brilliant matchup of styles that we are all hoping for. And I think that every ingredient for this one is just right, and it's the right time for it to happen, and it's the right stage for it to happen on. And I think that all of these things are going to add up to give these guys kind of cast iron mindsets to clash and to go at one another. And I think that that, that interview we talked about, Reese Bellotti will be really interesting to read to kind of get an idea of where his psyche is leading into this kind of pivotal clash for his career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and Reese being, you know, just 29 years of age. And I think we touched on this in, in one of the other episodes and, it almost seems like he's he's almost passed us by in a way since the loss to Ryan Doyle and then he went out and, and he lost a tight decision um, on a match with Italy card and you know twenty nine is not the oldest but he's also he's not a prospect anymore you know and at one point or another he seems to be the next big thing and he seems to be on the verge of breaking through and and if he can get a victory against Jordan Gill who's so highly thought of you know you only have to look at um, our David Caldwell or. Um, Tony Bellew in particular and, and other members that have been at, at the Sheffield gym with, with Caldwell, they, they speak so highly of him, you know, and they're so full of praise um, so if Reese Blotty can come back and get a victory on a, a high platform, a high profile platform uh, in matchroom fight camps and I think if he can get a victory over Jordan Gill on this platform, it, it reignites his career, you know and it, I'm sure you know the motivation is, is is something that doesn't have to be explained to Reese. I think he'll be uh, very wary of what's at stake, and, and equally for Jordan Gill, you know the the loss to Tanoko left a lot of questions there. And, and Tony Bell, you recently mentioned to, to Wendy Hearn um, on their talk show that you know the the pressure's relieved now because he hasn't got to protect that up. But at the same time, you know on 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 the flip side of that, there's also more questions posed now because you know there'll be people there saying if you drag him into deep waters or. I know he had the, the, the issues with being unwell on fight week leading up to the Tinoco clash. So I know he had problems there, but, you know, there'd be people that would be questioning, you know, take him into the deep waters, uh, you know, make it into a dogfight, take away his boxing ability, take it away from being an actual boxing match and t- turn it into a dogfight and, and, and see if he's got the stomach for a fight. You know, I'm sure Jordan would love to be able to do that and show that he's got the minerals. But for me, I think that's what, what Team Bellotti 
and and anyone that comes up against Jordan Gill in the next couple of fights will be thinking, and, and rightly so, given the performance against Tinoco. Exactly, exactly. But Jordan career, <clears throat> Jordan's career, even before Tinoco was stunted, you know, he was on small halls and he, he's had so many fights turning pro, so young and struggling to catch a break. Now, this is the break. If you can knock out Reese Bellotti on this show when everybody's watching the first week of Matchroom's fight camps, that is lighting the touch paper on your career. That is, bang, I win this, then it's British title, European title, and a world title shot. Like, Jordan Gill has a unique opportunity to change his, the way his career's been. You know, it's always been stunted, injuries, you know, the, the loss to Tinoco right when he was catching momentum. You know, this now is his moment. And he will be thinking, I want to catch this. And exactly for, the, for exactly the same reasons, that's why Reese will want to upset it. Because whoever wins this likes to touch paper on the last on the next few years of their career, you know, Reese might be able to go for that British title again, you know, Europeans, but and Jordan Gill, and I know having, you know, I watched your interview with Dave Caldwell, Jordan Gill wants the world titles, you know, and this is his opportunity to light his touch paper and head into the stratosphere. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, it was a fight that you mentioned and, and this is my number one pick. Um, and arguably that, you know, maybe the most even contest across all four fight nights and, and one that can go either way and, if there's going to be a fight that you can make where as a, a fan-friendly fight, you know, something that you want to watch, uh, it might not be the most uh, pleasing in terms of, a, you know, a boxing purist. Uh, obviously, I'm alluding to the the main event of Fight Camp Week 1, which sees Ted Cheeseman go up against Sam Eggington, you know, egg and cheese as it's being mooted. Um, I think this is a fantastic fight on paper that will transition into a fantastic fight in the ring. There's no other two ways around it. You know, both guys like to get into a war, the, the, their, their their way of defending seems to be to taking a punch on the forehead or on the chin and they don't really seem to, to have too much in terms of fear of taking a shot to land their own. Um, on the flip side of that, Ted Cheeseman in the Scott Fitzgerald fight did show a, a kind of style that I, I'd not seen from him before and one that I didn't think he was capable of and he was boxing on the back foot and he, he looked very well doing that and I think that's the, the one question mark over this fight. If Ted Cheeseman can box like that again against Sam Eggington, then I don't think this turns into the war that we're all hoping for and expecting. I think if he boxes on the back foot like he did against Scott Fitzgerald, I think this becomes one-way traffic and I think Ted Cheeseman will, would win a, a shutout uh, points victory or, or stop him late. But if he goes in there with a the, with the bravado, the macho-ness and, and he wants to prove that he's a tougher, stronger, better man than Sam Eggington, then Sam's not going to run from that. Sam will stand in front of him and he'll give him all he's got. And, and and all he wants. Sam Eggington is coming on this on the better runner form. Uh, you know, he picked up six wins in 2019, and, and the best one of that was the one that was away in um, in Macho Italy. He stopped. Uh, I'm going to murder his name, but he, he stopped a, the, his opponent in the in the second round in a fight that Sam Eggington was the away fighter. He was expected to lose, and and that just epitomised Sam Eggington like time and again. You know, there's a setback and he comes back. And he rediscovers himself, whereas Ted Cheeseman, he's on the opposite end of the the momentum spectrum in terms of 2019 was disastrous for him. You know, he started off with a loss to uh, Garcia, Sergio Garcia for the European title, the light middleweight title or super welterweight title. And then he goes into the Kieran Conway fight as a bit of a comeback fight and he draws that and then he loses to Scott Fitzgerald. And he, you know, his stock just dropped and dropped and dropped over the year. You know, he started off as the undisputed number one domestically in terms of the prospects around there, you know, the Fowler, the Conways, the Fitzgerald, and he, he was the next one, you know, just below Kelbrook and Liam Smith. Um, but after 
a disastrous run of form. He comes into this fight, you know, desperate for a win, and he needs the victory. You know, if he loses to Sam Eggington, there's not there's not a lot what you can see Ted Cheeseman doing differently. You know, he goes back to the drawing board and he's on the bottom rung of the ladder, rebuilding himself. You know, and it's crazy to think that with Ted Cheeseman and Sam Eggington, you know, Ted's twenty four and Sam's twenty six. He seems to have been around for forever. And I think this is absolutely pivotal in, in both men's careers as they look to position themselves for domestic titles. Exactly, exactly. I think uh, I echo everything you've said, but at the same time, like it's Ted Cheeseman hasn't had a win since 2018. Uh, you know, and whereas, again, I won't try and murder his name, but Sam Eggington has had a massive win at 100, 154 pounds in Orlando. Uh, Orlando, whatever his last name is, That's I'm not going to. I actually managed to pronounce try. it when I was on live with Sam Eggington on our Instagram lives. I actually like managed to get his name in there, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to try it again. But we know who you mean. I'm, not, I'm looking at it. I'm not going to go. <laughs> and um, is yeah, no, he has. He's Sam Eggington is on a on a you know a big run of form, and I know he's had some ones against some more questionable opponents, but he's had big wins too. And he's always game and he, he's always fit, Sam Eggington. And especially at 154 pounds, where he doesn't have to cut down to 147. He always looks in good shape and he's massive as well. Ted, I've stood next to both of them and Ted Cheeseman is far, far smaller than Sam Eggington. And I think that that's something that's not talked about in this fight is that if, if Eggington gets himself on the front foot and he's able to put pressure on, although he's the guy that's fought at 147 and Cheeseman's been a career you know, junior middleweight, I think that Eggington could really get the working on him and really start to put pressure on him and make him have to change the way he fights. And I think if you... I wasn't a fan of Ted Cheeseman trying to box on the back foot. I thought he was too inactive. I thought he looked stiff and he didn't know what he was doing on the back foot. I didn't like it for him. I think he's a, pre- a pressure fighter and you're not going to make, you know, you're not going to try and tell Joe Frazier he needs to box like Muhammad Ali. You're not going to, you, you, you know, Angelo Dundee said, if you've got a short fight and make him shorter. So why not try and work on that inside fighting and try and really hone your craft rather than change your style. And, you know, Eggington is never one to change his style. You know, he's, He's got he's got six losses now as a pro, and he's never ever changed anything about what he does about his style. And I think Ted Cheeseman messing around with what he does might be his final undoing if he tries to, you know, if he tries to really box Sam Eggington and leave his chin up in the air. He might he might end up getting caught. But you have to favour Cheeseman as the younger, fitter guy. You know, he's he's only he's only twenty four years of age. You know, if he gets stuck in and you know goes for Sam Eggington in the way that Liam Smith did. Hopefully, you know, maybe you could get it, get get him out of there. But it's a close, close fight, and I think they're both at this kind of crossroads point where neither of them are, have got anything to lose, and that always, always has a, you know, nobody's worried about their O, nobody's worried about their belt, nobody's worried about this or that. They're just going to get stuck in and have a scrap, and oftentimes that those conditions produce the best fights. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's the thing with this fight. You know, away from Dylan White and Povetkin, which is the most high-profile fight that's going to take place in. Uh, Matrim Square Garden. I think this fight, when uh, Eddie revealed that, you know, Sam Eggerton, you know, belled him up. He says, you know, I, I want to fight, you know, I don't care who it's against. And, and Eddie re- immediately replied with, you've got Andy Fowler and Ted Cheeseman at 154. You can go down to 147 for Conor Ben. And Sam just says, give me anyone, you know, and, and that's the confidence. But that's also the the will of the man, you know, the fight inside him, you know, and as you mentioned there, six losses on his record, but he's never ducked anybody. Um, I think the fight with, Liam Smith shown that he's not quite at world level, but let's not forget that he holds the IBF international uh, light middleweight title, which, you know, for, for all the, the hate that these um, alphabet titles get, rightly so, 
but it also gives them a ranking, you know, and a victory against the Cheeseman, you know, and we're maybe only one fight away from unbelievably, you know, Sam Eggerton being in world title contention, you know, and he's, he's, he's won Commonwealth titles, he's won British titles, he's won European titles, and I think a victory here, you know, in an impressive fashion, and, you know, as, as mad as it sounds, a Sam Eggerton world title fight is not too far off, given that he holds the IBF international strap. No, but exactly. And the last time he was in this position was when he built, uh, beat Rodriguez. He beat Gavin Malinaji Rodriguez in quick succession. All he had to do was beat uh, Mohamed Mouni, and he was going to fight Brandon Rios for a world title. And yet he'd lost the split decision. And Mouni, obviously, he's gone on to different things. But like I say, Sam Eggington, about, you know, in 2017 time, he was on the cusp of a world title. And this is one of his best runs of form since then. So. He isn't that far away, and he's he always says yes to the fights, and he's always exciting. So if you're looking for a, if you're a champion and you're looking for a voluntary defense, 154 pounds. Do you know what I mean? There's there's few to look. You know, why wouldn't you try and take him on? Do you know what I mean? He's yeah, he's got absolutely. name value. He's an exciting fighter, and if he's if he knocks out Ted Cheeseman in a few rounds, he's got the international ranking, and he's up there. So. It is more meaningful than just a no a non belt non title fight. Uh, I think it's it is a great clash of careers and ages and pull at that time I think it's got every ingredient to be brilliant yeah absolutely I think you know you mentioned there that you know about a, a voluntary title defence you know if we, someone that we've also mentioned on this list uh, in Jason Wellborn you know 18 months ago challenging Jarrett Heard um, I'd certainly say you know and no disrespect to Jason Wellborn but I'd certainly say that Sam Eggerton is more of a credible opponent for a voluntary title defence in the runner form that he's in and with a potential victory over Ted Cheeseman, you know, it puts him right in there in the mix. And I think, you know, that, that that's all the motivation that he needs. He seems a very, you know, self-confident person anyway, but it, it's absolutely, you know, the, the, it lights the touch paper in terms of fight camps. You know, it's, it's a great main event and that's why it's my number one pick. And I think it's, it's, it's a great potential fight. There's a lot of 50-50 fights, but in terms of, and I know we're going to do our predictions and there might be a, a new prediction uh, Simbox prediction videos coming uh, later down the line but in terms of predicting this fight I think this is the most 50-50 fight across the cards and I can pick a way for each card to win and be equally as confident in each prediction and I think that's what makes it such a great fight Exactly, exactly. I'm exactly the same way because I've been, you know, in, in the course of this I've flipped a couple of times and but the more I talk to myself, the more I'm starting to favour Sam Eggington and that's somebody who is the underdog you know, and I'm sure on the bookies on the night he'll be quite a big underdog and yet, because I think that fight is so evenly matched 50-50, I'm starting to lean the other way. And I think it's, it's, a, it, it, it's symptomatic of the quality of these cards and how well they have been matched. Because I'm the same way with Harper and Jonas. I keep flick, flicking one way and the other way, you know. The same way with Courtney and Ball. I think that that's a neat 50-50 fight. You know, I think there's a lot of 50-50s on here and, and a lot of different ones where the more you talk yourself into it, you can, go, you can flip-flop the other way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's why it was important for us to today to to pick out our favourite fights across the board. Um, but also that you know, we, we can still get excited then to do our weekly previews as the podcast, you know, as we've alluded to in the past. We've we've had features in in the first seven weeks of, of Let's Talk Boxing, but now that we've got some proper boxing to get our teeth stuck into, um it, it's gonna be fantastic to to for four consecutive weeks and we'll chuck in the Frank Warren shows, of course, and, and the other boxing that's on. But for these four cards for, for our weekly podcast. You know, I'm really excited to break down each fight in, in, in more depth. You know, not just the three that we've mentioned or the six that we've mentioned between us. You know, it's it's it's, it's mouth watering. It's it's very exciting and, and something that I'm I'm really excited to get stuck into. 
Exactly. And we've done a, a quick overview of some of our favorite ones there now. And, you know, so people can get excited. But like I say, let's talk boxing. We'll have detailed previews of each one as and when they come. Yep. And, and sticking to the theme of fight camps and maybe the most high profile boxer in terms of belts held is um, still waiting for a confirmed opponent. And of course, I'm alluding to uh, Katie Taylor. Uh, you know, she was undisputed at lightweight. She now holds a, a title at, at super lightweight. Um, very exciting fighter, arguably, you know, pound for pound, the, the, the one of the best in the world, you know, male or female, such an exciting fighter. And, and recently there's been a lot of developments and a lot of social media activity from Katie Taylor, from Matchroom, from Lou Bella, and of course from Amanda Serrano, who was meant to be the scheduled opponent in previous weeks. And I think it was going to be on the, the Dylan White, Alexander Povetkin card in Manchester on May 2nd. And the, the dates have been changed and changed again, which is out of everybody's control. You know, it can't be placed at the feet of Eddie Hearn or Lou DeBell or Katie Taylor or Amanda Serrano, you know, but this fight seems absolutely looking, yeah, I'm not sure how much of the social media activity you've seen over the weekend, Ewan, but um, Katie Taylor's been uncharacteristically outspoken, you know, you don't really see that from her, but she's been uh, active on her social media and there's been replies from Serrano, Hearn and from Lou DeBell. It's been a bit of a crazy time, it's been a bit of a crazy time and it's looking less and less likely, isn't it, that, that Serrano is going to be ready for that date, and she's going to be willing to fight for whatever Eddie Hearn's going to uh, going to pay her. The most trains with um, uh, Jamie Moore in Manchester. She's but there's a mandatory challenger at two weights right here waiting in England, so no problems with travel or training. If Serrano doesn't want to fight, I'll happily step in August twenty second. Twenty second. It's an honour to share the ring with Katie Taylor, and I think that's a massive development that we've got a British challenger ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. I think Chantal Cameron's full of confidence. Um, but just before, like, there, there was something that I was going to get into in terms of you know who could step in beforehand. But there's just a couple of things that I wanted to mention on Amanda Serrano, um, which I only realised immediately for uh, immediately before recording the podcast. Uh, and the, there's this story you can find it at the Athletic, which uh, Mike Coppinge is involved with. And there's there's this story or this rumour that Serrano was trying to get out of the fight. She's she's causing this all uproar because she's trying to get out of the fight because she wants to take part in a a reality TV show that's willing to pay her $200,000 or £200,000. And she's trying to get out of this fight to take part in that because it's, it's a more lucrative option. Uh, you know, because you look at the, the tweets that Eddie's been sending and Lou bell has been part of and Katie Taylor, you know, they're offering Serrano the same money to fight in Eddie's back garden as what she would have got on a the matchroom card in Manchester, you know, it's still the same opponent. It's still in the same country. You know, so there's not too much that she can complain about. She's got eight weeks until fight night. Um, but it does seem that the, there's this now added bonus rumour, if you like, uh, that Serrano wants to take part in a reality TV show. And that's the actual motivation for her wanting to pull out of this fight, which is unbelievable, if true. It is. It is unbelievable. And it is quite, it's quite complicated. And you know, without looking at the contracts, we wouldn't be able to properly comment. But it—I don't know. I think I have a lot of time and respect for Ludabella, uh, and I think that if he he will always have the best interests of his client at heart. And it's a difficult situation because ultimately, it's you know, Eddie Hearn does represent Amanda Serrano. He she is signed to Matchroom Boxing USA, and so although Ludabella is her manager, he's not a promoter, and he seems to be acting like a promoter. And I think it's a a difficult sell if she ends up on this reality TV show to say that, you know, she's better than Katie Taylor or she's a more accomplished boxer than Katie Taylor or anything. I think she loses her bargaining position if she turns this fight down to go on a reality TV show. You know, I think that 
she is no longer a, a credible contender to Katie Taylor at that point. I think you have to fight or you, you're going to end up selling yourself down the river because there is always a stack of fighters ready. And if you turn down your world title shot and your shot at the big time, you know what I mean? You'll, people, all the, there's always hungry fighters ready to step in the queue and take your place. And if you turn it down once, you won't get it again. Yeah, absolutely. And you alluded to it earlier on that it's Chantal Cameron. She's the one that's, you know, put her name out there straight away and 12 and 0. Uh, I think she was the, the, the IBO champion at lightweight and she moved up to super lightweight to try and chase a title up there. And in her last bout, she, she defeated a former two weight world champion, Esther Sanchez. So I think that Chantal Cameron is, is a very exciting prospect or a very exciting prospective opponent for Katie Taylor to, to step in, you know, given it's an all domestic. Uh, about you know obviously Katie Taylor from Ireland but it's a fight that's easy to make you know we're not looking at shipping somebody in from abroad um, so I think Chantal Cameron is, is a very credible opponent and a very exciting proposition for Katie Taylor to fight but there's also for me if, if I had my choice uh, strictly as a, a boxing fan I'd love to see the rematch with Delphine Passoon. Um, obviously they had the first fight on the undercard of Andy Ruiz and Joshua won in Madison Square Garden back on June 1st of 2019, and I think that rematch um, is going to happen anyway at some point down the line. It has to happen. Such was the the, the controversy over the decision. You know, Katie Taylor getting it uh, marginally on the cards. You know, a lot of people had Pursum winning that fight. So I think for me, my choice would be to see the Pursum rematch with Katie Taylor. But also as a British boxing fan, I wouldn't say no to Chantel Cameron getting her opportunity. But Chantel, her her, her, her opportunities will come. You know, she's she's knocking on the door and. Undefeated, she's young, she's very exciting. Uh, so yeah, she's definitely going to get the opportunity one day as well. Yeah, exactly. I think I think the pursuing rematch is a good fight. It, it was a very very close fight in on the night, and uh, you know you know big 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 stars like Carl Frampton scored it to appear soon. So why not do that again? But yeah, I think I think everything makes sense for for Chantel Cameron. You know, she's chomping at the bit to get a big fight, and if an op- you know exactly the opportunity knocks. I always look whenever, you know, a fight falls off or something goes, you go and look for who's the first one on, who's the first one that says, I want the fight because they're the ones that have got the best chance of winning that fight. Andy Ruiz sent the day Jarrell Miller tested positive. He sent, uh, he sent Eddie Hearn a a message saying, give me it. I want it. I'll win. And he won. And I think Chantel Cameron put out today, what she's done is put out a statement of intent. She said, I, that Katie Taylor's the best fighter in the world. No, she's not. I am. And I'll beat her. Give me the fight. And I think that that statement of intent shows more about where she's at as a fighter than anything else. I think that that is the best fight because, you know, Delphine Persoon, she has never gone, I won that fight. Give me Katie Taylor again. Give me Katie Taylor again. Has she? And I don't know if that's her personality or what, but Chantal Cameron's the one that's gone today, taking the initiative and said, look, I am here. I'm ready. Give me the fight. And that's, I think that that shows how ready she is for the fight. Yeah, absolutely. Just mentioned there on Persoon, if, if I'm not, you know, mistaken. I'm sure she was looking at stepping back into the Olympics before they was postponed with the current pandemic. But I'm sure she was looking at taking a a, a step back into you know when he was allowing pros back into taking part in the Olympics. You know, I might be wrong there, and you know some of our listeners might put me straight. But I'm sure that was that was putting to bed the rumours of a potential Katie Taylor rematch initially. I'm sure she was going back into training for the Olympics. It, it, I I totally forgotten, but it rings a bell. I believe she was competing in the qualifiers for the the qualifiers where Caroline Dubois secured her yeah, that's the one. now 2021 Olympic place. I'm pretty sure you're right there. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our initial overview of, of fight camps, you know, and anyone that agrees, disagrees, or they have their opinion on on their favourite fights, the ones that stands out for them, by all means, you know, check us out on, on social media at Simbox 
at Rebel Boxing, at Luke underscore Simbox. You know, we're always there for debate. Uh, quick shout out to Boxing's First, at Boxing's First on Twitter. A uh, big listener of the podcast and he's, he's always there to give us a shout out and, and get involved in our tweet. So massive shout out to him. Go and check his workout. Um, Ewan, very quickly, for my throwback fight during lockdown, for people to go and check out. And this follows on from our podcast last week when we done the the fantasy fight between Carl Froch and Joel Calzaga. Um, I went and watched a few fights of each man and I can't not pick out the first Carl Froch versus George Rose fight from 2013 in the Manchester Arena. Very controversial, full of action, shock or everything that you could want from a, a world title fight. And it led on to the golden era of British boxing that we've been experiencing in recent years. Uh, so for, for our listeners to go and check out, it'd be Carl Froch versus George Groves 1, recently been added to the Sky Sports Boxing YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. And don't uh, don't get too angry when the stoppage happens. Um, but I would suggest for my old, uh, throwback fight, I'll go for a 19, oh, 1950, oh, 1958, Carmen Basilio versus Sugar Ray Robinson 2. The greatest ever Sugar Ray Robinson, you know, one of the one of the best. He's coming to the end of his career and he fought one of the toughest men to ever set foot in a ring, Italian-American Carmen Basilio. Uh, I won't tell you who wins, but it is a rematch and it is, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal fight. If you haven't seen it already, it's a 15-round war. You can't get can't get better than that. Fantastic. As always, you, it's been a, an enlightening po- podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed getting my opinions out there, listening to your opinions as always. But for now, Ewan, I'll catch you next week. Take care. Thank you, Luke.